You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a holy Father. I think of how you taught the disciples to pray in the model prayer, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. glad you're not our father stuck on earth. You're our father in heaven overseeing all things. I'm glad you're not our father that's a pretty good guy, but that you're our father that's holy, totally separate from the twisted disappointment that this broken earth and creation is now left with. And I'm so thankful, Father, that you're a Father that not only protects, but you're a Father that provides. And you sent a way to escape darkness. You sent a way to escape the brokenness. And you sent a way to give the young hope and the old strength and all people joy. You're such a good dad. Some of us never had dads. All of us have dads that sinned, disappoint, and fall short, even the best. But Lord, we can all come together saying, we've got the dad of all dads. The dad that provides, the dad that cares, the dad that's strong, the dad that loves. And you sent your son, Jesus. I thank you, dear brother. Dear brother Jesus, for shedding your blood. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for overseeing the hearts of your people. And you know the needs, Holy Spirit, of, uh, of what I need this morning and every single one of us. What we need this morning, we need you. Holy Spirit, come, we pray in your name. Amen. All right. Well, I ask that you continue to prayer as we look to the topic of Jesus, our temple and you're going to kick things off with um, John 2.19. And John 2.19 says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Right in the middle of one of the most controversial things Jesus ever did. He went to the holy place. He went into the courtyard of worship. And he said, you have made this place a complete farce. You have corrupted what is supposed to be holy. How dare you? Does God get angry? Was Jesus always meek and mild? Not that day. When you start profaning that which is holy, there is righteous indignation that we should express. And Jesus showed us how. And they got mad and said, okay, that's, and they brought this up at his trial. That event is what they brought up at his trial of, uh, of trying to condemn him to death and condemned him to death, what he did right here. And so as they were closing in, because they say, we have had it with you. We've heard the rumors about you out in the hill country. How dare you come into our city? How dare you walk into our house? How dare you say what you're saying? And they're going to kill him. And he looks right at them and says, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. In the shadow of the literal temple. 
They're going to talk about the literal temple this morning and how that connects to you. So number one, Solomon's original temple. Oh, oh, got a question. You can back it up, Isaac. Um, Jesus, our temple, and our question is, how do we live in God's presence? It's all about God's presence. The temple is all about the very evident, felt presence, shining, glowing, glorious presence of our eternal God. You can live in that. How? Grace is not sloppy. Mercy is not casual. Our God is a holy God. And I use this illustration, probably already have here, but uh, went to two years of, of college over at Hastings College and they required me to take an art class. Ended up liking it, uh, chose glass blowing. And they had these huge furnaces with these two to three inch pipes of natural gas blowing into these furnaces and it would melt glass and it would turn like glowing honey. And you stick a pole into that reservoir of glowing glass and wrap it around and you would pull it out and you would work it and you would get on the bench and you would uh, create art out of it. But if you didn't put on your mask and if your skin wasn't prepared, as soon as you stepped, it wasn't just the heat, it was the radio ultraviolet rays that just, it felt, it made your skin feel like it was boiling. It wasn't, it felt like it was just needles prickling. Don't stand too close to the furnace. You worship a white, hot, holy God. Be careful how you act in his presence. The Bible shows us a way. How do we live in God's presence? Number one, Solomon's original temple. Number two, Jesus, the living temple. And number three, the church, the new temple. The church, that's you. That's us. That's a God thing. Let's get going here on the next one. So Solomon's original temple. I want to back up to 1 Kings and actually do quite a bit of reading. You know, I was joking with the... Pastor Joe Marino, that last time I got to read 70 verses of genealogies, and it was the first of a bookend of several chapters that in Nehemiah 7, Ezra 2 was a genealogy, and a mirror image genealogy is in Nehemiah 7. Same list. And I thought, you know, I could just, I could preach out of that today. But we're not going to do that. But we are going to read quite a few verses. Um, 1 Kings chapter 8, we're going to read through some of this right here. What's going on in 1 Kings chapter 8? There was an original temple. You know, God created this book. It's a creation of God, this, this Bible right here. Wednesday, the men at, at men's uh, God on Tap Bible study were talking about the human body. And to think you can take years to study how to keep the human body healthy, therapy, surgery, medicine. And as you think about studying cells under a microscope, can you not see God in this design? The bigger the microscope, the more you see. It's the same thing with telescopes. The bigger the telescope, the more you see. There's order, there's design, there's beauty, there's creation. How in the world does a fly stand on a ceiling of glass, much less a molecule or an atom? Um, 
a cell can duplicate. Um, you know, what was it? Steve Jobs made the Apple computers. A pretty amazing thing. Never saw an Apple computer duplicate itself. But God is a God of amazing intricacy, amazing beauty. And he not only created the human body, he not, even, he not only created uh, microscopic things that can duplicate themselves, he created this book. And it is a story that invites you in to say you can be a part of this heritage. 1000 BC, Solomon built a temple and it pointed to your heart. That's what we're going to find out about today. Why does God make a temple? Why did he create a Garden of Eden? Why did he have the children of Israel? Why did he make this book filled with genealogies? I don't know, but when you open it up and you are compelled to dig in, he reveals his beauty to you. At first, if you make an incision into a, a body for surgery, I'm sure there's a lot of things that don't make sense. There's fluids, there's tissues, there's all sorts of things, but as you study it, you start to understand the systems and the organs and the design and the beauty. And this invites us into the story, not just to study about that over there, but it invites you into the story so you can be part of the story. This is your story. The world started off with paradise and an invitation. Come rule with me, Adam and Eve. Come help me build this world. And they said, forget you, God. We don't want your world. We want our way. And God says, okay. And the generations passed after one generation after another rejects God's beauty and rejects God's holiness. How can they get back into paradise, the delight of Eden? Did you know that the, the word Eden, the definition is delight? Well, God invites you into his Eden because he delights in you. That's what Eden means. What is that? The very core nature of God. I delight in you. I like you. I love you. I want relationship with you. I'm so separate. You can't even imagine. I can think about the farthest galaxy and the most microscopic thing. But I long to rule this world with you, to share my power with you to join in with you because I have built a place of delight and we rejected him and he says, but I'm not stopping. You may give up on me, but I'm not giving up on you. And this is his battle plan for your heart. He says, I'm going to reveal myself through a man and that man's going to come through Abraham's family and that Abraham's family is going to grow into a nation and that nation's going to go into bondage. And I'm going to deliver them from the nation of bondage. And they're going to reject me once again, once they get to my very land flowing with milk and honey. And they said, if you do not want my joy, then you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And that older generation fell away and died in the wilderness. A lot of, a lot of graves in that sand. And the younger generation was recommissioned as Moses gave his last sermon, follow the Lord. And he went up into a mountain and was never seen again. And Joshua rose up and led them into the land. The waters parted and they went after the, the city of Jericho and they started getting out all of the crazy child sacrifice and prostituted worship and all of the things that the pagans of the land were doing. And 
they said, the rivers are flowing, the grass is growing, the animals are fat, the fruit is abundant, the houses are built. Move on in, enjoy the land. In the wilderness, God prepared a temporary temple. It was a tent. It was a mobile worship center. It was like a church plant. Their church in a trailer. And uh, the very center of that tent, the tabernacle, was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was an amazing box that we're going to look at. It was a golden box about a little over four feet long and about uh, two and a half feet wide and two and a half feet tall. Made of pure gold outside, inside. And the lid was called the mercy seat, pure gold with the angelic beings, cherubims, facing each other with their wings, overseeing the Shekinah glory of God. You know, in the wilderness, um, at night, they had a pillar of fire. In the daytime, they they had a cloud. It was God's presence. It's all about God's presence. How do you get God's miraculous, holy presence in your life? He's showing you how. Hundreds and generations and even over a thousand, well, thousands of years ago, he's pointing towards your heart. I want to give you my presence. This is how he did it then, and it all points to Jesus, and Jesus points to you. They moved into this land flowing with milk and honey, and they didn't have a temple. And they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant in the city of Jerusalem. And David longed to have the temple back again. And God, with another story, said, David, you're not going to build my temple, but your son will build me a temple. The son Solomon is going to build the original temple. And so for years, they were in the land flowing with milk and honey, but there was no temple. And Solomon started doing a fundraising campaign. Now, if Joe Marino was here, we could have meshed this perfectly with our, our giving campaign. And yeah, God's people were very generous. They were ready to give and Did they give? Let's read. Chapter 8, let's read 1 through 29 and then go through 54 through 66. Listen to the story. Finally, Solomon the king calls. And it says, at that time, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, all the tribal heads, and the ancestral leaders of the Israelites before him at Jerusalem in order to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant. Covenant means promise. God is making a promise with his people, and he still does. From the city of David, that is Zion, so that all the men of Israel were assembled in the presence of King Solomon in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month at the festival. All the elders of Israel came, and the priests picked up the ark. The priests and the Levites brought the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, the holy utensils that were in the tent, King Solomon and the entire congregation of Israel who had gathered around them and were with him in the front of the ark were sacrificing sheep, goats, and cattle that could not be counted or numbered because they were so many. The priest brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place beneath the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim were spreading their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim covered the ark and its poles from above. The poles were so long that their ends were seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. 
but they were not seen from outside the sanctuary. Sanctuary, They are still there today. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites when they came out of the land of Egypt. When the priests came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple, and because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The pillar is back. The fire and the fog have returned. God is blessing this with his presence. Then Solomon said, The Lord said that he would dwell in total darkness. I have indeed built an exalted temple for you, a place for your dwelling forever. And the king turned around and blessed the entire congregation of Israel. While they were standing, he said, now get the picture. They're in the capital city. They've built the beautiful temple. We're going to talk about how amazing it is. And they're bringing the crown jewel, the Ark of the Covenant, with poles stuck through the holes because if you touch it, His holiness would consume you. So God made provision. He said, make rings on the corners of the box so you don't have to touch it because if you touch it, my holiness will consume you. Isn't God always making provision for us? Down to the little details. Put rings on the corner of the box. Just listen. Shouldn't we just listen to God? All the people are gathered around and they bring it into the city and they bring it into the courtyard and they bring it into the other courtyard and they bring it into the city and then they bring it into the sanctuary and then they bring it into the holiest of holies and they set it in its place. A jubilant day of celebration. The king said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He spoke directly to my father David and he has fulfilled the promise by his power. He said, since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city to build a temple in any in among any of the tribes of Israel so that my name would be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, since your heart was set on building a temple for my name, you have done well to have this desire. Interesting little verse here. Yet, you are not the one to build it. Instead, your son, your own offspring, will build it for my name. The Lord has fulfilled what he promised. I have taken the place of my father David, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark where the Lord's covenant is that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire congregation of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept what you have promised to your servant, my father David. You spoke directly to him. You fulfilled your promise by your power as it is today. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep what you have promised to your servant, my father David. You will never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons take care to walk before me as you have walked before me. Do you hear that covenant? It's a beautiful covenant, but it's an obey and then be blessed covenant. That's a beautiful thing, except for the weak link 
of human sin. There's another covenant. There's another one coming. Now the Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you have promised to your servant, my father David, but will God indeed live on earth? Listen to this. I love this. Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple that I have built. Listen to your servant's prayer in this petition, Lord my God, so that you may hear my cry and the prayer that your servant prays before you today, so that your eyes may watch over this temple night and day toward the place where you said, my name will be there, and so that you may hear the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. You hear the humility of Solomon? The amount of gold in this temple is staggering to the mind. The amount of wealth coming into Jerusalem, specifically under the care of Solomon, is mind-blowing. And he says, I've built you a house, Lord. But let's get real. There's no such thing as a house on earth that can contain our God. So he finishes this up with this blessing. And go over to verse 54, if you would, and we'll finish up the chapter. When Solomon finished praying, he prays this prayer, and then when he had finished praying, he gives this benediction. This entire prayer and petition to the Lord, he got up from kneeling before the altar of the Lord with his hands spread out toward heaven, and he stood and blessed the whole congregation of Israel with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord. He has given rest to his people Israel according to all he said. Not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. And it still hasn't failed. He's a promise-keeping God. May the Lord our God be with us. Oh, yes, God is with us. Christian, that's what the word Emmanuel means. God with us. How can we live in the presence of God? How can God be with us as he was with our ancestors? May he not abandon us or leave us so that he causes us to be devoted to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances which he commanded our ancestors. May my words, which I have made, my petition before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night. May he uphold his servant's cause and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. May all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God. There is none other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commands as it is today. The king and all Israel with him were offering sacrifices. So listen to the reality of this culture. As he's making the speech, the priests are killing animals and putting them upon a fire, and the smoke is going up, and you can smell it all around. It's like the best barbecue you could have ever imagined. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord. Check it out. 22,000 cattle sacrificed at this event, 120,000 sheep and goats. In this manner, the king and all the Israelites dedicated the Lord's temple. It's a lot of blood. It's a lot of beef. It's a lot of meat. It's a lot of fire. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle courtyard that was in front of the, of the Lord's temple because that there was uh, because that was where he offered the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, since the bronze altar before the Lord was too small. It was a huge altar. 
But for 22,000 cattle and thousands of sheep and goats, or sheep and all these animals, couldn't handle it this day. Overwhelming sacrifice. To accommodate the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, Solomon and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, observed the festival at that time in the presence of the Lord our God seven days and seven more days, 14 days. On the 15th day, he sent the people away, so they blessed the king and went to their homes rejoicing and with happy hearts for all the goodness that the Lord had done for his servant David and for his people, Israel. May God bless the reading of his word. What is going on in this ancient culture? Solomon's original temple. We read that no matter how great this temple is, is there a, is there a building that can contain the God of the universe? I want us to think about three words right now. The holy law, or three phrases. The holy law, tablets. The rod that budded. And the golden pot of manna. In this reading it says the only thing that they had in the ark was the law. But throughout the history of Israel it contained three. It eventually had Three from the beginning, and I'm assuming later uh, that they assembled three items that were inside of this box. At the very center of the center of the center of the bullseye were three things. God's holy law, Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna. Let's think about that. What is the meaning of that? What story does this tell? Let's back up. And think about the literal, physical story that the children of Israel are experiencing. God said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. You ever been homesick? Some of you have been in the military. Were you homesick? Some of you have gone off to college in another city. Were you homesick? Some of you have been on mission trips far, far away. You've been homesick? There's a movie called Rescue Dawn that was put out in about 2008, starring Christian Bale. Uh, and it told the true story about Lieutenant um, Dieter Dingler. He's an American pilot. It was a lieutenant uh, flying Douglas A-1 Sky Raiders off of the USS Ranger off the coast of Vietnam. It was the very beginning of the conflict or the war. And as he was flying raids over Southeast Asia, he was shot down. His Sky Raider was shot down. He was quickly captured by the enemy. And the enemy took them into the jungle and, and, and ran him up near the mountains. And there was a prison camp made out of bamboo. Bamboo walls, bamboo huts. Put him in chains. And he met other pilots that had been there for years in captivity. He immediately started making plans to escape. They had given up hope. They had tried to escape, but were brutalized, and they had armed guards. And, and uh, in the movie, which is very accurate, and it's kind of a box office, box office failure. You know, some of the best movies are failures at the box office. Uh, uh, Christian Bale actually lost, like, tons of weight. All he drank was water for, like, days. 
and their skeletons playing, the actors playing this, and um, they just wanted to get home. They're in a foreign land. They're surrounded by enemies. Their freedoms have been taken away. They really don't know where they are, and all around them, everything looks foreign. And they made a plan to escape and return back to what was familiar and what they loved and whom they loved. They got out, and several of them escaped and got outside of the boundaries, and uh, the, the plan all went wrong, and some of them were killed, and some of them were recaptured, but two of them escaped and started marching through the jungle and the mountains, the mist and the rain. Lieutenant Dingler's partner uh, really just went insane and couldn't go on and died. And they were looking for the Mekong River so that they could float into Laos and, and get out of uh, that current situation. But they ran into a waterfall, their raft, they made a raft, and it hit a waterfall. So one thing after another went wrong, after wrong, after wrong. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the, um, the Huey choppers were, were, were flying overhead. And they couldn't see him. So he lit fires in the brush and uh, tried to get their attention. And finally, on the bank of this river, the choppers descended. And within hours, he's back on the aircraft carrier, safe and home. You can feel the homesickness in the movie as he longs to get out of bondage and get back to what he loves, the place that he loves. Why did the children of Israel love this place, Jerusalem, so much? Why did they love to come to this city on a hill, to this place of, of worship? It was home. It was a holy home. Solomon's temple was absolutely incredible. You can read through 1 Chronicles and add up the amount of gold that this building contained. Um, the building itself was really about 30 feet by 60 feet. It's not very big. We had a shed at home that was 30 by 60 feet. It burnt down and all we had was a concrete slab. Whenever I think of 30 by 60, I think of that concrete slab, 30 feet by 60 feet, but it was 40 feet high, and that was Solomon's temple. To build this temple, this is what they said. The Bible tells us that in 1 Chronicles 22 and 29, that was given to them from David himself, from uh, donations from the Israelites and from other nations, 108,000 talents of gold. That equals to this day, are you ready? 8,100,000 pounds of gold. You got a shed in the back, 30 by 60, and you're gonna pump in 8,100,000 pounds of just gold. There was also silver, 1,017,000 talents, equaling 76,275 pounds of silver. If you multiply that out today, that's $233 billion worth of gold. $233 billion with a B uh, dollars to purchase for this 30 by 60 structure. Plus $390 million worth of silver, plus brass, plus iron, plus cedar wood, plus all the, the man hours to build this thing. Just the building. Jeff Bezos' Amazon is worth $177 billion. Richest man in the world right now. $177 billion, Jeff Bezos, Amazon. Elon Musk is worth $151 billion, owner of Tesla and SpaceX and all that. 
At the height of his power, Solomon, King Solomon is estimated to be worth 2.2 trillion. As decorations on his house, he had 300 shields made of gold, 10 pounds each. Multiply that out. Gold right now is about $1,800 an ounce. $50 million just for the shields on his, in his hall. Serious wealth, serious value, serious and precious metals. They said that, that things were like gravel in the streets in Jerusalem at the height of King Solomon's power. This is the place of worship for our God. And I want us to keep thinking about the law in the box, the rod in the box, and the manna in the box that was put there originally and was there throughout the history of the temple. God said, I'm going to give you a beautiful land. So you're not homesick anymore. You've got a place. I'm going to give you a city, a fortress city, so that you're safe. And I'm going to call it Jerusalem, the city of peace. I want to give you peace. I'm going to give you a temple with an outer courtyard so you can have a place to praise. All people can come, Jew and Gentile alike. All people are invited to praise this God. Then there's an inner courtyard within that courtyard where there was sacrifices made and where somebody else represented you. You see how this points to your heart? They did this for generations and hundreds of years. And there was a big basin out of brass held up by 12 bull statues. And that was to wash and to be clean. Somebody else is sacrificing blood on your account. Somebody else is washing that your case can be clean. And that's on the outside of the sanctuary, and then they enter into the sanctuary, and they said that the, the floor was completely gold, 30 by 60, gold floor. You ever put in hardwood floors? You know, I'd like the new option, pure gold, wainscoted with gold, decorated with trees, tropical trees and, and blossoms, and the beauty of Eden. He's recreating the delight of God's presence that we had in Eden, throughout all the walls were engravings of beautiful plants and beautiful items of paradise. And inside that sanctuary were lights burning, the menorah that the Jews use to this day. You know there's light in God's sanctuary, shining. They said that there was special bread made just for the priests called the showbread or called the bread of the presence. It's all about the presence. It's always been about the presence. There's special bread loaves and there's special lights burning. And they said, that's not the best yet. I want you now to step out of the sanctuary, that sanctified holy place. And I want you to go into the holiest of all. It's called in the King James, the holiest of holies. And it's the holiest of holies. It's, 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 it's a cube. It's a room that has unified dimensions in three. Do we know anything that's three in one in our faith? But there's this cube that's just as wide as it as long as it is high. And there's cherubims guarding the door. And you come in and here is the special four foot box. And there's heavenly creatures guarding what's called the mercy seat. I don't know, mercy seat. 
What is mercy seat? Do we ever use words like seat? Yeah, you ever heard of the county seat? Is Hastings the county seat of, of, of this county? Grand Island's the county seat, St. Paul's the county seat. It is the central place of the area's government. What governs over God's people? What is the governing mission that God has over his people? Where is the courthouse of mercy? It's at the very center of the capital. At the very center of God's people, there is a courtroom that says, mercy, not justice, mercy. And when they did this event, the glory of the Lord, the light, the fire, and the fog descended upon the mercy seat, and there it remained through the generations, the light of God's presence overlooking pure gold, and no one was really able to open the box. But inside the box, there's our three things. God's holy law. God's perfect vision for all creation. Aaron's rod that budded. What's a rod? It's a rod of authority. But Aaron was a priest, so it's a rod of intercession. And they didn't know who was supposed to be in charge. You ever had that problem at work or something? Well, who made him boss? Well, they had that problem. Go back in the Old Testament and read it. So they laid out uh, one rod for each of the 12, chapter, uh, 12 tribes of Israel. And they said, come back tomorrow, see what you see. Cane, walking stick. One of them sprouted almond branches, flowers, and had almond nuts on it by morning. Probably go with Aaron. Everybody else was just a stick. But this was like given harvest as a... <laughs> That's an almond tree. That was in the box. The rod of priestly authority that has life was in the box. A thousand years before Jesus Christ, pointing to one that has authority and intercession with life. Representing, I just don't need stone tablets, guys. I need intercession that gives life. I can't match the holy, I'm getting ahead of myself, we're talking about ancient Israel. All right, so holy, holy tablets, Aaron's rod that budded, and then daily provision. For 40 years, every day, except for one in the week, they would go out and there'd be bread from heaven, bread from heaven, bread from heaven. Nobody really knows what it is, except they said it, it tastes like wafers made from sugar. Bread from heaven. And there was a pot of bread from heaven. God has a holy standard. God gives, uh, gives intercession with authority and life, and God helps you from, I'm getting ahead of myself, and God represents these things that gave the children of Israel in the wilderness daily provision. At the center of the land flowing with milk and honey was a city with an outer courtyard, with an inner courtyard, with a sanctuary, with the holiest of holies that had a box, and in the box were these three things. Surrounded with lavish wealth. Surrounded by tons of pure gold. Ridiculous amounts of favor and grace upon the thing that's most important to God's heart. His holiness and his people. Solomon's temple. What an amazing picture. Why are we doing this right now? Well, Joe's sick. <laughs> 
we're doing a series through, through Ezra. What's, what's going on? Why are we doing the deep dive on, on the temple? Well, Patrick and Joe have been, uh, have been studying for their passage, and uh, so why don't we do a deep dive on, on what we're doing here? Uh, Ezra is coming back to rebuild the temple. Well, what is the temple? So I got a call when we got back from Albuquerque. Missed you guys, by the way. Um, and Joe said, how about, we, how about we do a sermon on, on the temple? So we know what, what everyone's so excited about. Well, this is exciting. We got a king worth $2.2 trillion. We've got a, a building that's worth more than, than uh, Jeff Bezos. We've got gold with all sorts of these things that people for, it said that, that there, was, there was up to a up to thousand years of history, there was a temple on this very spot. Solomon's temple, an amazing thing. And it was their home. So in Jesus, now, now, now the thing is, Jesus stood up and said, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. Okay, what temple is he talking about? Because Solomon's temple was destroyed, and all that gold was taken away. And you can Google it and say the destruction of Solomon's temple, and you can see artists' renditions of them pulling down the brazen altar and them pulling off all the gold and taking it to faraway places. And they really don't know where the gold is anymore. They said at that time it was half of the known world's gold was in Jerusalem. And they destroyed it. And they ripped it to shreds. And they remember that beautiful day when they sacrificed and they rejoiced and they prayed to God, oh God, let us, let us obey you and enjoy your blessing. But they didn't obey. They disobeyed. They rejected God. And in the holiest places and in the sanctuary they brought in prostitution taking bribes the priests god's priests were taking bribes for their own net worth they rejected god's way they rejected god's plan and god said if you reject me then i will remove my presence from you and so here came the babylonians and they took them off into exile and they were gone 70 years. Administrations changed, and they let them to repatriate back into to Jerusalem and rebuild. And so we had Solomon's temple, and it was destroyed. And then they have what's called the second temple, and it was built about 500 B.C. And over the, the course of the, inter, the time between the Testaments, the intertestamental period, about 400, 500 years between Old Testament and New Testament in history, that crumbled. The building uh, became laid waste. Corruption entered until Jesus came in and said, you guys are like a brood of serpents. You're a den of thieves. You're corrupting God's holiness. And right before that, King Herod came in and he said, uh, right before Jesus' time, he said, let's rebuild the temple and let's use uh, all the resources that we can have as a Roman province. And uh, they rebuilt a temple in the time of Jesus. And that's what Jesus was standing around when all this happened in the same general dimensions, but none of the, the wealth, none of the level from the original days. But when Jesus said, destroy this temple, A, he's in his 30s. The Romans came in and destroyed that temple again in AD 70. The phrase destroy the temple was a buzz ringer to the children of Israel. That, that meant something. It's like saying, bomb the White House. You bomb this White House in three days, I'll build it again. 
Can you imagine what it felt to their identity? And he said, destroy this temple. It's not just a metaphor. He's not just talking about his body. Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. He's the greater temple. He's the human God embodiment of all the gold, of all the holiness, of all the life, of all the intercession, of all the forgiveness, of all the cleanliness. Jesus came as one person representing in fulfillment everything that the billions of dollars of gold pointed to. It was Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus answered them. To our number two, Jesus, the living temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And what does it mean now? We move away from the, the physical and the literal, and instead of a land, or, or, a, uh, or we can go backwards, we start with the law in the box. Spiritually speaking, Jesus came saying, there's a new way. There's a new standard. There's a new vision for life. That's what the law represented. The rod represents eternal intercession. We don't need the priesthood anymore. We have one priest that talks to God for you every moment of the day, waking and sleeping. We have our eternal priest in Jesus Christ himself. We've got the law. We've got the rod that budded in spiritual sense. We've got the ever-present mercy of God looking down over you in the mercy seat that Jesus was. It was guarded by angelic beings from paradise. Do you know your soul is guarded by the power of heaven? Jesus represented the sanctuary. He stood up and he said, I'm the bread of life. Everybody knew he was talking about the show bread, the bread of the presence from the temple. He wasn't just talking about a loaf of bread from the grocery store. He's talking about, I am the bread, feed on me. I am the light of the world. They've been going in and out of the sanctuary looking at the menorah for generations, and he stands up and says, I am the eternal menorah. I am the eternal candelabra. I am the uh, eternal source of light. Live according to the light I give. Feed according to the bread that I give. I am the temple. Forgot about the manna. He gives us daily provision. In the sanctuary was also incense going up to God. You know, Jesus prays for you. The Holy Trinity talk about you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. God smells the sweet potpourri smoke. I hate potpourri smoke. Just so syrupy. I'd rather just have barbecue off of the, yeah. Anyway, that's another flavor. God smells it. The inner courtyard, spiritually speaking, is forgiveness given by another. That's Jesus. And the outer courtyard says all are welcome. All encapsulated in a city of peace and safety. Jesus brings peace. Shalom. Peace to the world. We're getting ready to go into the Christmas season. Joy to the world. And it's in the promised land. Probably all of us are Americans. It's interesting living in the Midwest where we're so far from the borders, but some of you have probably lived uh, next to a border where there's a lot of national mixed identity. We lived down in New Mexico for several years and uh, um, on one of the national holidays, um, somebody walked into, we're at a burger restaurant 
and uh, it was on the holiday, and some woman walks in too to get a burger, and she starts belting out uh, the national anthem. And so like uh, some of the people looked like some had military background or whatever, they stood as she sang the national anthem. Well, guess what? Sitting in the table beside us were people wearing a red, white, and green soccer shirt. They didn't stand. America was not their identity. They're from another nation. National identity. We're not just lone wolves. We're not just independent sheep. We're part of a people. And you want to know what to do with your life? You want to know who you are? Jesus provides the land. Jesus provides the city. Jesus provides the temple. Jesus provides your holy law, your Aaron's rod that budded, and daily sustenance for every single day. I am the temple. Destroy it, and in three days, I will bring it back again. And they did, and he did. That's our God. That's our Jesus. So number three, the church is a new temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, there's, there's places throughout, the, uh, throughout Hebrews and 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter and throughout the New Testament. It says, you remember the temple? Now it's you. Not only is Jesus the embodiment of the temple, he gives that identity to his people, like God always wanted to do, like God has always been pursuing his people. And he says, now you are a living stone. Now you are stones built upon the ultimate foundation cornerstone. Do you not know that you are God's temple, he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, and that God's spirit dwells in you. And in craziness, it gives a list. Be careful what you build on the foundation of your temple. Well, church, he's writing to the Corinthian church, preach it to the well church. Be careful what you build on Jesus Christ. Don't build trashy, Worthless stuff like gold, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. We know the story. Funny how he says, you know what? The new temple, God's church, the new temple. We don't mess around with worthless stuff like tons of gold. I'm talking about something better. Your heart is more precious than tons of gold to your God. So don't mess around and build with, with, with the externals. Go for the heart. God's always going for the heart. It's the new temple. The church is the new temple of God. Corporately and individually. Your heart is the temple of God. This body is the temple of God. God says this. The context of these two passages that I put in my notes, I don't think they're in this note, uh, the notes on the screen, but I looked at 1 Corinthians 3.16, and his, con uh, his context right there is don't worship people. If you go and look at 1 Corinthians 3.16, we got people that are putting pastors and preachers up high and say, you know what, I love to follow that preacher, and I love to follow that church leader, and, and I follow this celebrity. He says, don't build your life upon that garbage. As, as a church as small as we are, we have to do the same thing. Don't build your identity upon, well, we're the well. We're a different church. We're a di we have a different pastor. We have better leadership. Or maybe you get depressed and say, I wish we had better leadership. Don't build your, your life on it either way. Build your life on Jesus Christ, because guess what? Every leader 
has clay feet and will disappoint. But together we can go, we're all the same. We're all broken, but inside of us is something more precious than tons of gold. And we can work together as a family. So don't, 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 don't go celebrity. Grieves us, doesn't it? Another big name falls. Sometimes it's bad enough just in pop culture. But in the church, come on. Don't do it. You're a new temple. Next, he goes over to uh, 1 Peter 2, and he says, don't worship yourself. Don't follow your own lust. Don't follow the desires of the flesh. Don't do it. Put Jesus at the foundation of your identity, of your peace and safety, and yet your ability to praise. The church is God's new temple. So what do we do? It gets really practical there in, in 1 Corinthians 3 and in 1 Peter 2. I ask you just to go home and read those, those passages and just look at the list of saying, this is why. Is, it, is, is, is there really anything out there uh, that's not covered in don't, don't worship others and don't worship yourself? Doesn't that pretty well cover it? really love getting closer to you people. And this is the sixth church we've ever been a part of. We haven't tried to be distant or disconnected. But I realize that uh, I'm weaker and needier than I want to admit. And I really appreciate how you've welcomed us in as a family so quickly, my gosh. Just got a little wooden plaque with my favorite verse in the Bible. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Just acts of gifts of love, blessings of fellowship, opening your hearts to, to me, at uh, Wednesday night with the men. It's getting real. So Jen hands me this little wooden plaque that's so cute, and there it is. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ. And well, that's what we struggle with, isn't it? But we're all filled with pride. And if you don't admit it, you're the worst one. <laughs> gotcha. Sometimes pride comes out in self-confidence and arrogance because you have to prove yourself. You don't have to prove a thing because you want to take God's law and shrink it into something doable so that the world will go, what amazing resume. God says, wow, some resume. Or you may be so proud that you go, I look at the list of God and I can't keep it, so I guess there's no hope. Yeah, that's called Christianity. You can't keep the law. Therefore, we have a Savior. And at the very core of this Savior, he says, I love you. I accept you. You're valuable to me. You are more valuable than tons of gold. And I want to remind you how valuable you, valuable you are. I'll give you a new identity, a new land, spiritually speaking. 
I'll give you spiritual peace and safety better than Jerusalem can provide. I'll give you a place of praise where everybody's welcome to come. You ever feel like, I'm an exile, I'm not worthy? I don't have the right bloodline. I don't have the right lineage. I didn't come from the right kind of family. Or maybe you're so proud, you say, well, my family's great, of course I get to come here. Like, whoa. It's time to go to the inner courtyard where you can get rid of that garbage and wash in the labor, wash in the, in the brass container and offer sacrifice for your sin and then let somebody else take it on into the holiest of holies. It's not a bunch of priests anymore. It's one priest that takes your case. He enters into the sanctuary where he's the one emanating light, where he's the one giving bread. And with all the authority of heaven, he marches into the very presence of the Shekinah glory, saying, I want to talk to you about Joe Nelson. His day Tuesday. I want to talk to you about Melissa and Ryan, Chris and Christian, Nicole and Mitch. I want to talk about their situation, God. And God breathes in that prayer given for you. He said, yes, there's a holy standard. But there's a rod that budded in intercession for you that gives life. And I'll give you daily sustenance that the old manna could never provide. And here's the last sentence. The more you see who God is, and the more you see who we are, and the more you know what Christ has done, the more your heart melts. And that's really the only way you can live in God's presence. Thanks for listening. Love you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.